welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care and community pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, and I'm the host of the iFormerX podcast. And, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to participate in this professional development activity. If you are not already a member of iFormerX, I encourage you to sign up. It's easy and it's free to all health professionals. So all you need to do is visit iformerx.org, our website, and click on the join or sign in link, which is in the upper right of the navigation bar. Over the past few years, I've become increasingly interested in non-pharmacological mind-based methods for the treatment of a variety of health conditions. Of course, talk therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT and acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, are evidence-based approaches to treat psychological disorders, including substance use disorder. And structured mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR, has been used to treat stress, anxiety, and pain. These treatments can be used alone as monotherapy or in combination with pharmacotherapy. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data about which approach works best, and many allopathic clinicians like physicians and pharmacists tend to favor pharmacological approaches over mind-based treatment methods, perhaps because our training largely focuses on drug therapy, perhaps out of ignorance, or perhaps because there are so few comparative efficacy studies. So That's why the recently published TAME study, which compared MPSR to escitalopram for the treatment of anxiety, caught my eye. And here today to tell us all about the TAME study and its implications in practice are Dr. Cindy King and Dr. Chris Paxos from the Northeast Ohio Medical University College of Pharmacy. Dr. King is an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist and the PGY2 Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Practice Residency Program Director for Metro Health, which is in Cleveland, Ohio. And Dr. Paxos is a professor of pharmacy practice with Neomed and a board-certified psychiatric pharmacist. So I am delighted to have you both here, Cindy and Chris, on our show today as first-time contributors. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart. We're really excited to be here today. Thank you, Stuart. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to it. So, Chris, I'd like to start with you, and let's talk a little bit about anxiety and anxiety disorders. It seems to me, and and this is just based on my gut impressions, that the prevalence of anxiety-related disorders has really increased in recent years. Now, this might be because we have a greater awareness, and we're talking about psychiatric illness a lot more now than we ever did, and so the stigma is less now than it was some years ago. Nonetheless, it means we're seeing many more patients, colleagues, and students seeking treatment for anxiety. So it's important to be aware of different types of anxiety disorders and the currently recommended approaches to treatment. So I have two questions. Is the prevalence of anxiety disorders increasing? And what are the most common types of anxiety disorders seen in developed countries like the United States? I think you're absolutely right about the prevalence increasing. The National Institute of Mental Health provides prevalence data for anxiety disorders, which include generalized anxiety, panic disorder, 
as well as anxiety-related disorders, which include obsessive-compulsive disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. And the data show that these are incredibly common. Over 30% of adults in the United States will experience one at some point in their lives, and approximately 19% of adults experience an anxiety or a related disorder in the past year, with a higher rate occurring in females. Social anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder were among the most common experienced by adults, with generalized anxiety and panic being some of the next most common disorders. The World Health Organization reported that in the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, the global prevalence of not only anxiety, but also depression increased by a staggering 25%. And they reported that factors contributing to this increase included social isolation and loneliness, uh, grief from loss of a loved one, and difficulty seeking support during lockdown. And the World Health Organization also reported that females, young people, and those with general medical conditions were most at risk for developing a psychiatric disorder. Having said all of that, we do have several treatment approaches, both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic, for treating anxiety and anxiety-related disorders. For non-pharmacologic treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy is widely recommended, and the approach will vary slightly depending on the disorder. For example, patients with obsessive-compulsive disorder, there'll be an exposure and response prevention component paired with the cognitive therapy. But cost, time, commitment, and therapist availability can be barriers for some patients. With regard to pharmacologic therapy, treatment guidelines broadly support the use of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors as first-line treatment options. Sometimes the choice of SSRI or SNRI will vary by guideline or by the anxiety disorder, but in general, they're all first-line options. Unlike depression, the dose may be started at half of the usual starting dose to minimize the activating effects caused by antidepressants, particularly when treating panic disorder. And I think it's important to note that benzodiazepines are not first-line treatment options. And in fact, they're not recommended for post-traumatic stress disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder. So Cindy, let's talk about the study you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary. The the study was reported in JAMA Psychiatry, January 2023 issue. And the paper is entitled Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction versus Escitalopram for the Treatment of Adults with Anxiety Disorders, a Randomized Clinical Trial. Now, we, of course, provide a link to that paper on our website, but can you give us a brief summary of the study methods and the key results? I was really interested to read this trial when you brought it to my attention because, similar to you, I am interested in non-pharmacological-based treatments for different chronic diseases. So, specifically related to the TAME study, this is a non-inferiority eight-week study that included nearly 280 patients. Patients were evenly divided into one of two arms, those receiving the mindfulness-based stress reduction versus those receiving the escitalopram starting at 10 milligrams daily with the option to increase to 20 milligrams daily. Patients were aged 18 to 75 years and had a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorders, or agoraphobia. 
For this study, mindfulness-based stress reduction included a two and a half hour weekly class, 45 minutes of daily exercises at home, as well as a full day retreat about two thirds of the way through the treatment period. The primary outcome of the TAME study was to assess the change in the clinical global impression of severity score or CGIS score. This is a seven point scale where clinicians rate the severity of the patient's illness at the time of assessment relative to the clinician's past experience with patients who had the same diagnosis. The scale ranges from normal, not ill at all, to among the most extremely ill patients. This study did calculate power. They determined that 80% power would require approximately 370 patients based off of a non-inferiority margin of negative 0.33, which was set to be stricter than their initial non-inferiority margin, which they determined to be negative 0.495. However, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, enrollment was halted at just less than 280 patients. This enrollment did still meet an 80% power based off of that initial non-inferiority margin, though. As far as the results go, the average age of patients was 33 years, and the majority of patients were female. Based on the anxiety diagnoses, about 60% of patients had generalized anxiety disorder, followed by approximately 30% having social anxiety disorders. The disease severity was split evenly between low and high in both groups. The primary endpoint showed no difference in CGIS scores between the two arms after eight weeks of treatment. This result was maintained for the secondary endpoint of the difference in CGIS scores at the 12-week follow-up as well. So Chris, I'm interested in your opinions about the TAME study. It was, of course, a randomized prospective investigator-blinded trial, but for obvious reasons, the participants were not blinded to the treatment they received. Now, one could argue that the lack of participant blinding actually biased the results, so I'm wondering if you feel this is a significant or even a fatal limitation of the study, and are there other aspects of the study design and execution that you believe might have influenced the results? Well, that's a great point. I think it's important to start with a positive of the study is that it's adding to the evidence pool for mindfulness-based stress reduction. Having additional data with which to make clinical decisions and having more potential treatment options for patients with anxiety is so important. And it's also important to note that it was compared to a very standard treatment, in this case, escitalopram. Um, but to your point, there are some concerns and limitations. The study was not blinded. And even with the use of escitalopram, some issues arose. Um, for example, the final average dose of escitalopram was not included, which makes it difficult to discern if the comparison was fair because anxiety disorders are often treated at the higher end of the antidepressant dosing spectrum. And we really don't know where the doses ended up in this trial. In addition, the duration of eight weeks in this trial is shorter than the 12 weeks, which guidelines often recommend for antidepressant trials and anxiety disorders, again, placing the escitalopram at a potential disadvantage. Additionally, uh, the non-inferiority trial design 
might not be ideal when evaluating anxiety disorders for a couple different reasons, such as the waxing and waning nature of anxiety for many patients and the high placebo response rates that have been found in past trials. I think another limitation is that cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT was not included. Uh, CBT is our best studied non-pharmacologic approach and the comparison of mindfulness-based stress reduction to CBT, a first-line treatment option, would have been important to consider. And finally, even baseline demographics between groups varied slightly with significantly more patients in the escitalopram arm having social anxiety disorder. With these limitations in mind, mindfulness-based stress reduction will likely not join other first-line treatments based on the merits of this study alone. So, Cindy, what should we do in practice? Should mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR, be recommended as an initial treatment for some patients with anxiety disorders? After all, MBSR was associated with fewer adverse events and teaches patients new behaviors and thought patterns that might have lifelong benefits? Or should drug therapy be the preferred approach because from a practical perspective, MBSR is time-consuming and requires a structured training program led by a qualified MBSR instructor? I don't know about Cleveland, Ohio, but there aren't any MBSR programs here in Mississippi. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting series of questions and ideas. And I'm not sure that there's 100% one answer, but there's definitely a lot of things that I kind of thought through. So one, I do think MBSR is an exciting new possibility for treatment option for patients with anxiety disorders, but I'm not sure that we can fully add mindfulness-based stress reduction to our first-line therapies based off of this study alone, due mostly to the limitations that Chris discussed earlier. However, I also don't think that we should just write off mindfulness-based stress reduction and remove it from a treatment option for patients. Based off of the current literature, I do think we should still be recommending SSRIs or SNRIs with or without cognitive behavioral therapy as our first-line treatment options for anxiety disorders. Since, as we mentioned earlier, providers for cognitive behavioral therapy are limited and patients may not have access to cognitive behavioral therapy providers, it is reasonable to consider mindfulness-based stress reduction as an alternative in these cases. Additionally, if patients have a contraindication or just refuse pharmacotherapy and also don't have access to cognitive behavioral therapy, then mindfulness-based stress reduction could be considered as a first-line option. As you mentioned, Stuart, mindfulness-based stress reduction is time-consuming and does require a structured training program. Like you, I also was not able to find any mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. However, there are actually a number of virtual options. Most of them are eight weeks long with kind of that one-day, all-day retreat that's very similar to the setup that was in the team trial. I don't have any specific connections or relations to any of the mindfulness-based stress reduction programs. However, I did find a few that I thought I would share today to provide some more information as well as cost considerations for those that are listening. At mindfulleader.org, they do offer an eight-week course that's available virtually online. This course costs around $725. And then there's also another program that's very similar through UMass Memorial, 
which also offers that virtual course for about $650. Lastly, I found a really unique program, especially for our underserved patients where cost is a major concern. That's available through Beaumont.org, where they offer free live online weekly mindfulness-based stress reduction sessions. And they also have over 100 free recorded mindfulness-based stress reduction sessions that patients can use based on their own schedules. As far as the question about teaching new behaviors and this may have lifelong benefits, I find this very intriguing as it may be very beneficial to provide lifelong treatment options that do not include pharmacotherapy. While we don't necessarily have information comparing cognitive behavioral therapy to mindfulness-based stress reduction for the treatment of anxiety, there was a randomized controlled trial completed in 2016 comparing these two treatment modalities in patients suffering from chronic low back pain. The primary endpoint was evaluating the change in pre- and post-treatment scores for catastrophizing. Surprisingly, these results showed mindfulness-based stress reduction decreased catastrophizing more than cognitive behavioral therapy, which actually contradicted their original hypothesis. It should be noted that both of these treatments did decrease catastrophizing more than usual care. Based on this, I would really want to see additional studies evaluating mindfulness-based stress reduction against both of the current first-line treatments, pharmacotherapy, as well as CBT for anxiety disorders, because I really do think there is significant potential. Well, Chris, Cindy, it was awesome to have you both on the iFormerX podcast today to talk about mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR, and the treatment of anxiety. Well, tell us what you think. Is MBSR available in your area? Is this something you encourage your patients to try? You can leave a comment about the commentary and the podcast by visiting iformerx.org. And remember, only members of iformerx can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website. And if you happen to be a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, you can earn continuing education and board recertification credit through the American Pharmacists Association. This podcast and the written commentary will be part of the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series, which is available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere. If you want to learn more about the APHA Board Prep and Recertification Program, just click on that link that we posted below the written commentary on our website. And before we sign off today, I want to thank Vivian Cheng, who is a clinical pharmacy specialist and a member of the Valley Family Medicine Residency Training Program in Renton, Washington. Vivian first became a member of iFormerX some years ago when she was an ambulatory care pharmacy practice resident at the University of Colorado, and she's been a steadfast contributor to iFormerX ever since. And she's been an author and a reviewer. She's participated in several of our podcasts and She's introduced iFormerX to her colleagues and students. So thank you, Vivian. I so appreciate your ongoing support for our mission and for being a, a great role model to pharmacy and medical residents and students. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off.